Everybody loves the touchdown. Throws to the back of the end zone, and it is caught for a touchdown by Holmes. The grand slam. Fly ball to center field. Ethier has done it again. It's a grand slam. The buzzer beater. Gets it to LeBron for three for the win. But how did those players get to that moment? And who built the venue and signed the contracts? Each week, we dig into the business side of sports and give you the answers. This is Sports Business Radio. Now, from our studios in Portland, Oregon, with Sports Business Radio, here's your host, Brian Berger. Well, thanks for checking out the only show in the country dedicated to covering the business side of sports. Glad you could join us this week. In our next segment, it's the Sports Business Radio Headlines of the Week. We've got some good ones lined up. Lots of activity around managers and Major League Baseball. We'll talk about that. In segment three, it's Maury Brown from thebizofbaseball.com. He'll join us to discuss what an epic Wednesday night we had this last Wednesday night. Maybe the greatest night of regular season baseball in Major League Baseball history. We'll discuss that with Maury Brown from the Biz of Baseball in segment three. Then in segment four... One of my favorites growing up, and someone I've wanted to have on this show for a long time, Sugar Ray Leonard, six-time boxing champion, Olympic gold medalist. Had a chance to catch up with him this week, and I'll bring you that conversation coming up in segment four. A couple of other notes, visit my sports business blog or download the SBR podcast on demand. Just go to sportsbusinessradio.com. Become our Facebook friend. Follow me on Twitter. Find those links on the homepage of sportsbusinessradio.com. I'm on Twitter at SB Radio. Griggs, you know, I grew up watching Sugar Ray Leonard, all of his great fights with Hagler and Hearns and Duran, and uh, always wanted to talk to him, and he didn't disappoint this week. Yeah, it's a phenomenal interview. You want to stick around for it. It's really good. He's just a, just a down-to-earth guy, just chatting and talking about what he's doing and what his involvement in the community and the things he's doing. It's great. Great interview. Great guy. And from a sports business perspective, before there was Michael Jordan, before there was Tiger Woods... There was Sugar Ray Leonard. Remember feeling 7-Up? I mean, he was a guy out there doing a lot of endorsements and in a lot of commercials, so we'll talk about that as part of our conversation. But coming up next, it's Headlines. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be back. Stay in the know at sportsbusinessradio.com. Podcasts, blogs, and more. SBR will be right back. It's the age of new media and citizen journalism. Everyone with a smartphone and a flip cam is a reporter and everything is on the record. I'm Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio, and I team with former Nike executive Lee Weinstein to form media training company Everything is on the Record. With a combined 40 years of experience dealing with the media and helping our clients craft authentic messages, we'll help you navigate the tricky media landscape that exists today. Everything is on the Record has provided media training to pro and college athletes, coaches and executives, as well as to government leaders and CEOs. We'll teach you how to break through the clutter with your messages and we'll also assist you when you find yourself in crises. It's time for an innovative new approach to media training that best fits the world we live in today. For more information about Everything is on the Record, visit us online at everythingisontherecord.com. Contact us today to learn more about our innovative approach to media training and how we can meet your specific needs. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at everythingisontherecord.com. 
It's time, baby. Special news bulletin. At Sports Business Radio, we're always on top of what's happening in the world of sports. And each week, we break down the stories you need to know about. This is Headlines. I want to be in the headlines. On Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio. It's time for this week's Sports Business Radio Headlines of the Week. Headline number one, Wednesday night. The final night of regular season baseball in Major League Baseball. Griggs, what an epic night. And really, it was amazing how within a span of about 15 minutes, you had the Braves-Phillies game come to an end in extra innings. So Braves eliminated from the playoffs. That was a a do-or-die game for them. Then you had the Orioles come from behind to beat the Red Sox. Then the Red Sox go into the locker room. They turn on the TV, and they see Tampa Bay Rays third baseman Evan Longoria hit a walk-off home run to beat the Yankees and propel them into the playoffs and eliminate the Red Sox, all within like 15 minutes, and such drama on Wednesday night. It was incredible to watch. It was awesome, and everybody loves to come back, and there was like, you could pick and choose. There was 100 of them, it felt like. That was just a phenomenal night of baseball, and this is why I love this time of year for sports. I mean, you got the baseball's heating up, which is always exciting, October, end of September. You got college football on fire, you got NFL. It's just a great time to watch it, but that baseball, yeah, Wednesday night was epic. So from a sports business perspective, you know, for as long as I can remember, and maybe I'm wrong on this, Major League Baseball had ended their regular season on Sundays. This year they ended on Wednesday, and I don't know if that was done on purpose, but if it was, it was brilliant. I don't often commend uh, Major League Baseball for their decisions, but because this happened on a Wednesday night, Griggs, everyone was paying attention to Major League Baseball. If this happens on a Sunday... Major League Baseball is getting lost in the midst of all the NFL games. So it worked out really well for Major League Baseball. I agree, and it also kind of propels the casual fan into, wow, this is fun stuff. I'm going to keep watching. So, yeah, brilliant to have it on Wednesday because, yeah, there's nothing else on. Well, and Wednesday night was the culmination of, I mean, the Red Sox were terrible in September 7 and 20. The Braves were terrible. Uh, The Braves at one point had an eight-and-a-half game lead. In September, the Red Sox had a nine-game lead in the wild card, and both of those teams have two of the biggest collapses we've ever seen down the stretch. So, And you've got the Red Sox fan base who, even though they've won two championships in the last decade or so, they're still... They're still schizophrenic, and they panic and worry, and and you know all their worries came true on Wednesday night. That's true, and you know that's what kind of makes baseball cool. Is the season's so long, you have so many different uh, you know ups and downs throughout the season. Like you're saying, teams way ahead, like oh they got it wrapped up, and then all of a sudden, boom, they're out of it. It's crazy. Our next headline, as of this taping, it looks like Terry Francona who's been the manager of the Red Sox, who's led the Red Sox to those two world championships, his option will not be picked up by Red Sox ownership, so he will be out as manager of the Red Sox. That's a little bit surprising to me, Griggs. He's kind of like Joe Torre was to the Yankees. He's ingrained in Red Sox lore. I guess the only complaint I would have is it looks like that team quit on him the last month of the season. He's always been a player's manager, and... I guess he didn't have the the relationship with the players to kind of crack the whip and say, all right, guys, I need to be the bad guy now, and I need to kick you in the rear, and, and let's get it back in gear. They never were able to get it back in gear, especially the pitching staff, who had a 6.7 ERA 
in the final month of the season. That's terrible. Yeah, that's not good. And like you said, he's he's kind of is Boston. It has been for a while. So it'll be interesting to see where they move forward from this, how it changes the dynamic of the team, you know, and the the dugout. And it'll just be interesting. I, I'm kind of shocked by it, but kind of not shocked. I don't know, kind of in the middle on this decision. The other interesting thing in Boston to watch will be, does Theo Epstein remain as GM? A lot of people think the Cubs are going to come after him pretty hard. Theo Epstein's had a good run in Boston. Is he looking for a new challenge? We will find out, but we could have a new GM and a new manager in Boston heading into next season with a huge payroll. I mean, the other story here, Griggs, is the Red Sox have a $172 million payroll, third highest in baseball. The Rays, who got the wild card, second lowest payroll in baseball, $41 million. To put that in perspective, A-Rod and Jeter, just the two of them, made more money this year, $45 million, than the entire Tampa Bay Rays roster, $41 million. You talk about Moneyball, which, by the way, I saw last week, fantastic movie, must-see movie for our audience the Tampa Bay Rays are this year's version of Moneyball. Yeah, and it, it is crazy. It's almost like comparing a high school baseball team to a major league team. But then they're both in the majors. It's crazy. And then, of course, the fan bases, we see the Rays, you know, bring 10 people to their games and Boston fills it out. So it's crazy. That's amazing. And I tweeted that out this week and I got some angry responses from people in Florida. But look, when you have a game on Wednesday night, your season's on the line, you're playing the number one road draw in Major League Baseball, the New York Yankees, and you can't sell out your venue... You've got a problem. And we've seen this for years and years. And that's why Tampa Bay, the ownership, I've had Stuart Sternberg on this show, the owner of Tampa, they can't put in the kind of money that these other teams are. And they're not really willing to because of the fact that they're not getting any attendance draw at home. And that's why they either need to move or they need to get a new stadium there that more people will come to. I will admit, Tropicana Dome is a dump. I have been there. Griggs, it's terrible. Yeah, I've not been there, but I've, I mean, you can even tell on TV. It just The field looks terrible. It just doesn't look good. The only good thing about that play, that venue is they've got good ice cream. So that's it. <laughs> well, I've got nothing. In that case. <laughs> I've got nothing nice to say about the venue other than they've got good ice cream. All right, our next headline, Ozzie Guillen, who had led the White Sox to a world championship in 2005. He'd managed the White Sox since 2004. He left two days early in Chicago. So with two games remaining on the schedule, he said over and out. He is now the new manager of the soon-to-be Miami Marlins, formerly the Florida Marlins. And I guess there's lots of talk around this. Number one, makes perfect sense for the Miami Marlins to want to hire uh, Ozzie Guillen. He will be great with the Latino and Hispanic audience that is very prevalent in Miami. There's a new venue that's coming online there, a new ballpark for the Marlins. So from that standpoint, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I think you're right. I think he will be a good fit. And like you say, the, the culture down there is totally going to, you think they're just going to eat him up because he just fits the vibe for, the, for that team. But I love how Ozzy Guillen came out and he said, I need to get paid this week. He made $2 million a year for the White Sox, and he made it sound like he was getting $2 a year. And he wants that yacht in Miami, and I just thought it was really, I mean, I know Ozzy's a crazy guy anyways, and if you follow him on Twitter or you listen to his interviews, uh, he definitely doesn't have a shortage of things to say. And I think Jerry Reinsdorf, the owner of the White Sox, was like, you know what, I think $2 million a year is fair, and I'm not going to give you more than that. The Marlins were willing to give him more than that. Now it'll be interesting to see who do the White Sox hire as their next manager. And I think 
one of the next great managers in Major League Baseball is going to be Ryan Sandberg if someone gives him his shot. The Cubs should have given him his shot last year. They hired Mike Quaddy instead, which turned out to be a, a terrible hire. And then try this on for size. Remember the Angels hired Mike Sosha after he was a longtime Dodger? And look how well Mike Sosha has done for the Angels. I think the White Sox should hire Ryan Sandberg as their manager and do the same thing. And I think he'll be a great manager. I think it'd be a way to stick it to your crosstown rival Cubs. And if the White Sox don't hire him, if I were the Red Sox, I'd take a look at Ryan Sandberg. Here's a guy. He's a Hall of Famer. He went down to single-A baseball. He's ridden the buses. He's done all of those things. And I think he deserves a crack. Our next headline, the NBA lockout. David Stern talking big, saying, we may not have a season. We may cancel the season if we don't have a deal done soon. The meetings are ongoing. The sides are still about 8% apart. The players want 54% of the BRI. The owners only want to pay 46%. That's about a $1.9 billion difference. It's a big gap to divide. We'll see what happens. But as of this taping, they're still meeting. And we'll have an update for you on next week's show. Last headline of the week. Kobe Bryant, who has had offers from everywhere, it seems. Greece, China. Looks like he's going to go to Italy. Griggs, he can get out of the contract if there's an NBA season, which he wouldn't have been able to do in China. China basically said, if you sign a deal here, any NBA player, you're here the remainder of the season. He wasn't willing to do that. But they're going to give him $3 million for basically... 40 days of playing in Italy. Where do I sign up for that deal? Exactly. Can I please sign that one? Uh, I, Kobe in, in, in Italy. I don't know. It's an interesting... Uh, I don't see him rolling through the uh, the rivers of Italy and, uh, you know, in the... Uh, what are those boats called that they... Uh, the gondolas. Yeah, the gondolas. <laughs> see, but here, his dad played there, Joe Jellybean Bryant. So That's he true. lived there for a little bit. He speaks Good point. Italian. This is kind of a homecoming for him in some ways. So I think... He'll actually enjoy it there. And look, again, if someone's paid me $3 million for 40 days and you know they're putting him up in a nice palatial estate and they're probably going to have a driver for him, he's going to eat some great food, have some wine. I mean, come on. Are you kidding? This is a no-brainer. I'll play anywhere. (laughs) And one of their sponsors underwrote the deal. So, you know, to the team, which is Virtus Bologna, this is like a coup for them. And everyone's been trying to get Kobe Bryant to commit to playing abroad, and it looks like this team from Italy has been able to do it. So, again, we'll have more updates on the NBA lockout and Kobe Bryant and players going elsewhere on our show next week. Coming up next, it's Maury Brown from thebizofbaseball.com. We'll talk about the epic night in Major League Baseball this past Wednesday, also the playoffs ahead. And then in segment four, it's Sugar Ray Leonard, one of the greatest boxers of all time. He'll join me. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be back. Stay in touch with SBR on Twitter, twitter.com slash SBRadio. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. Brian Berger goes one-on-one with the biggest names. My guest is David Stern. He's the commissioner of the NBA. It is always a pleasure, Brian. Bill Hancock, he's the executive director of the Bull Championship Series. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban. Mark, thanks for joining me. My pleasure. My guest is Mickey Loomis. He's the executive vice president and general manager of the world champion New Orleans Saints. Pleasure to be with you guys. Mr. Allen, thanks for joining me. Thank you. My guest is Mark Emmert. He's the president of the NCAA. Oh, happy to join you. My pleasure. My guest is Eric Spolstra. He's 
the head coach of the Miami Heat. Brian, appreciate it. Glad to, glad to be on the show. Mr. Nicholas, it's an honor to have you on Sports Business Radio. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure, Brian. Visit sportsbusinessradio.com and subscribe to our free iTunes podcast. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter and stay connected to the business side of sports only with Sports Business Radio. This is Sports Business Radio. Joining me on the phone right now is Maury Brown from thebizofbaseball.com. Follow him on Twitter at BizBallMaury, and he was busy tweeting last night. Maury, how are you? I'm great, Brian. I got a bit of a hangover from the games last night. You and me both. I'm exhausted from watching all of those. Maury, you've watched a lot of baseball. So have I. Was last night the greatest night of regular season baseball in Major League Baseball history? Yeah, it might go down as that, Brian. I mean, I, I don't think that you could possibly get that much drama wrapped up into it. And, I mean, it wasn't just something where it was spread out over the course of the day. We had drama landing on top of each other. I, I was sitting there basically with three devices trying to keep up with it, and even then it was tough to do. Yeah, I mean, you have really three games that are pivotal games ending in a span of 15 minutes in dramatic fashion. First, you know, earlier in the day or earlier in the evening, you had Cardinals and Astros, which was really a rout by the Cardinals. That was never in doubt. Then Phillies, Braves go to extra innings. Phillies win that. Then a few minutes later, the O's Red Sox game ends in dramatic fashion. And then, of course, Longoria ends Yankees and Rays game. And I mean, it was like, boom, boom, boom. All these things are happening right in front of you. Uh, it was something else. I mean, to, you know, set this into motion, though, Brian, to preface this. I mean, you had the Braves had an eight and a half game lead in the wild card leading up into September, and the Red Sox had a nine game lead. So that basically set the table. So everybody was, you know, hunkering or hankering for this stuff. And the fact that, you know, basically the, the out of town scoreboard in Tampa Bay showed the score when the Orioles lost, when Papelbon blew his save. The crowd won while Longoria said he was standing at the plate right before he hit the, the walk-off home run to win it. You had a span of three minutes. I mean, it, it was just stuff that you really couldn't script. And for those that didn't, didn't catch it, you know, I hope you tuned into SportsCenter. There was a whole lot to catch. Yeah, Braves finish 9-18 and in September. Red Sox finish 7-20 and in September. Which is the bigger collapse? Well, I would have to say, in some senses, you know, the the situation with the Red Sox may go down in history as one of the the bigger ones that you that you see. I mean, they really they went seven and twenty in September. I mean, you just don't see kind of collapses like that. Now, look, this is a lot of this was injury related, but they just didn't have a lot of depth, and that I think hurt them greatly. You know, it was just one of those things. And I mean, in the fact that they were going up against the Orioles, the Orioles. Had, had beaten them five out of seven games over the last two weeks of the season. So it just kind of set itself up that way. You throw in the rain delay. You had so much drama with that game. I mean, you had Ortiz trying to stretch a, a, a basically a single into a double, which you would never have seen if it hadn't been a pivotal game. You had Scudero thrown out by J.J. Hardy. I mean, there just was so much going on in that game. And the fact that, you know, Papelbon had been so lights out, it was just one of those things to where it, it reminded me, and for baseball historians that have been following the Red Sox, it reminded me so much of the Red Sox pre-2004, just this epic collapse and yeah. ending in just this dramatic fashion. The moment last night that was the most unexpected moment of the evening for me was Yankees, Rays, two outs, Two strikes, ninth inning. Dan Johnson hasn't been on the field in six days. He's a 108 hitter. Guy smacks a home run to tie the game. 
Yeah, and that was the thing. It may have been the most, you know, I, I said the gutsiest managerial move I think I've ever seen. I mean, he was hitting 108. He pulled for, for Sam Fold, who had been hitting like 284. So, I mean, it was an incredible thing to do that. And the fact that he basically laced it right next to the foul pole in the only spot. And conversely, Longoria did the same thing to left. Hit him in the only spots that those balls would have gone out of the field in Tropicana Field. It was just amazing. I mean, it, you just can't script that kind of stuff. We're joined by Maury Brown with the Biz of Baseball.com. Follow him on Twitter at BizBallMaury. So, Maury, big movie out right now, Moneyball. And you look at the Rays and you go, this is this year's Moneyball. The Rays have the second lowest payroll in baseball, $41 million. The Red Sox, third highest, $161 million. I said the other day, A-Rod and Jeter by themselves are making more than the entire Tampa Bay team this year. Really remarkable what Tampa's done with a low payroll. It is. And I mean, to put this in perspective, every one of their starting pitchers was developed by the Rays. There's not one free agent that that isn't on that roster. So, I mean, in that sense, they are the new money ball. It's a different type of money ball. They went through, and it's all been players that pretty much they've developed. They lost all their free agents, a lot of their key free agents last year. And, and the, the quote-unquote experts really didn't give them much of a chance at all. I mean, let alone the situation that they're in right now. It's a fantastic job by Joe Madden and Andrew Friedman there, uh, the general manager of the Rays, to do what they've done. Hopefully the fans get on board with this. It's the one thing that's been a real... It's unbelievable. ...for them. Yeah, they, they had 81% capacity last night. And are you kidding me? This is a must-win game. You're playing the Yankees at home, and you can't sell out your venue? Well, and you know, and probably a good good majority of those fans were probably Yankee fans. I mean, I, I will be really interested to see how they do in the playoffs. I mean, it was so dramatic last night. You hope that that's the, the catalyst that kicks it into gear. You know, they didn't just go out and blow out the Yankees. They went out and did it in this dramatic way. And it's something that everybody is talking about today. The thing that was amazing is they showed highlights on SportsCenter of fans basically leaving. I mean, you know, people have to remember that it was 5 nothing Yankees in the second inning. So fans were already riding this off and leaving. For the fans that left, well, they missed out on something really special. First time since 1953 that the Yankees had blown a lead of seven runs or greater after the eighth inning. I mean, that puts things into perspective. Yeah, it really does. I mean, you know, you could make a case that Girardi wasn't going out there with his A team, but they were playing to win. I mean, there was no doubt about it. They were putting, you know, they had runners running and stealing bases trying to eke this out. You know, I think in a lot of ways, you know, either way, you pick your poison, you're going to control your destiny one way or another, and you don't want to sit there and have another team determining what's going to happen for teams that are going into the playoffs. The same thing happened for the Orioles. I mean, the Orioles really had nothing to play for other than the fact that they could control their destiny in terms of the outcome of who was going to go into the playoffs. And so that kind of made, that kind of really, I think, sets the, the mood for how those games work. Even teams that didn't have to play hard, the Yankees certainly don't have to, and the Orioles really didn't have to, did. Maury, what happens in Boston now? I mean, obviously we've got deep depression, but I'm talking about the front office and some of the players. I mean, does Terry Francona stick around? What about Theo Epstein, who's obviously going to be wooed by the Chicago Cubs? David Ortiz and Papelbon are free agents. A lot of stuff going on in Boston. How do you see this playing out? Well, I think that they're going to be fine. I mean, it's. Good. I mean, let's be honest. I mean, there's a lot of depression. I, I, there's going to be talk about somebody's head's got a role for this, right? I mean, it's an epic collapse. 
You know, there's a lot of talk about whether the Lackey deal was the right thing to do. Crawford certainly didn't pan out this way that I think that they needed him to. There's going to be a lot of talk about something has to be done. I don't know whether John Henry and the rest of the ownership does anything with the UFC or Terry Francona. There's going to be a lot of talk about it. I don't know if they do. I mean, emotions are going to be so high today. I certainly wouldn't expect anything right now. Would it surprise me? No, but I, I just don't expect it right now. It just doesn't feel right. Um, you know, they just didn't have a lot of depth, and they got hit by a lot of injuries that didn't help them. Francona has always been a player's manager, and to me he's like a jockey who doesn't want to go to the whip down the stretch. He doesn't want to whip the players. In this case, he needed to go to the whip in September, but I don't think he was able to because he doesn't have that kind of relationship with them. Yeah, I mean, you could certainly make a case for that. I mean, there was there there might have been a little bit of that, you know, and you could make maybe some cases that, you know, they probably need to juggle some stuff in the lineup. But, you know, when I look at it, there was just some stuff going on on the field that was bad. I go back to the, the, the last start for Wakefield where you had Saltamachia with a bunch of pass balls. You had bad throws. You had, you know, runners getting caught in rundowns. Really the only bright moment, and there's a local tie to it, of course, is Jacoby Ellsbury, who's, you know, made a, a, a case that, you know, he might be up for AL MVP, and that was the only bright moment. He's the first 30-30 guy for the Red Sox in, in their history. So they're just, you know, were all kinds of things that didn't go right. You had Euclid get hurt. You had Gonzalez on 100%. You had Beckett get hurt. You know, it just did not go their way down the stretch here, and that's what killed them. Before I let you go, some exciting playoff matchups. You've got the big market teams, the Yankees, who have a $201 million payroll. You've got the Phillies, who have a $172 million payroll. But then, like we said, you've got the Rays, second lowest payroll in baseball. And you've got the Diamondbacks, 25th highest payroll in baseball, $53 million. Kind of the haves and the have-nots. How do you see the playoffs uh, playing out? Well, I think that it really, you know, right now, you know, the Yankees are, are trying to do something here, and you never want to write them off. But I'm looking at, at a Detroit Phillies World Series, which I think will be fantastic. I think that Verlander has a good case to make um, as a possible MVP and Cy Young winner. Um, the Diamondbacks, I think, are completely flying underneath the radar, although they came into the end of the season here. They didn't really go out with much power here at the end of it. But there's somebody to certainly watch, especially, you know, you've got the drama of it's been 10 years since they won the World Series in 2001, that dramatic win in Game 7. So, I mean, there's a lot of great underlying stories that go along with this, but I'm looking for a Phillies-Tigers World Series. You never want to ride off the Yankees, but, you know, the Phillies are going to be tough to beat. They've got that incredible rotation and just a lot of great power on the offensive side. It's going to be great postseason baseball either way, though, Brian. I think it's going to be a great, great year. What happens if you've got small market World Series? If you've got, you know, the D-backs and the Rays or the Brewers and the Rays, something like that, how does that affect baseball? Well, it'll affect the ratings, Brian. I mean, you know, that's the thing. Baseball wants to see parity in terms of the regular season, but when it really comes down to the postseason, you know, from terms of of the networks and certainly for ratings, they're going to want to see big markets and storied franchises being in there. So that creates a, a, a bit of a problem. But you know what? I think it speaks to baseball itself if they get to that point. So, so we can certainly do that. Great stuff from Roy Brown, as always, bizofbaseball.com. Find him on Twitter at bizballboy. He's a tweeting fool. Maury, thanks for taking the time, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks so much, Brian. Have a good day. You too. Podcast this show and any other past SBR episode at sportsbusinessradio.com. Back with more SBR after this. But I'm staring at you now.
Hi, this is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. It's no secret that we're battling a tough economy these days. It's more difficult than ever for companies to position their brand in a unique way and reach their target audience. Sports Business Radio can help you, though. Sports Business Radio is syndicated in markets nationwide. Our popular podcast is regularly rated in the top 100 business news podcasts on iTunes and has listeners around the world. But our radio network and podcast aren't the only places your company will receive exposure when you join our family of sponsors. We'll also give you exposure via sportsbusinessradio.com and at our new Sports Executive Speaker Series events, which feature a conversation with a key decision maker from the world of sports in front of a live audience. And best of all, we can expose your product to the big-name guests that appear on our show. We'd love to have you on our team. Please contact me at brian at sportsbusinessradio.com or at 503-701-2215 if you're interested in becoming a sponsor of Sports Business Radio. Back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. One of my favorite commercials growing up, and my guest on the phone right now is six-time world champion and Olympic gold medalist Sugar Ray Leonard. Sugar Ray, how are you? Brian, that brings tears to my eyes, buddy. You know, you were one of the first athletes that started appearing in commercials. Before there was Michael Jordan, before there was Tiger Woods, it was you. You did a lot of different commercials. How much fun was it for you to do those commercials with your son, Ray Jr.? Well, with my kid, I mean, how, I mean, how, how great how great does I get? It doesn't get any better. And um, he's 37 years old now, and uh, four grandkids later. Wow. <laughs> it's unbelievable. That makes me feel old. And then you even did a 7-Up spot with Roberto Duran and his son and your son. I did. And did one, uh, we did a combination of me and uh, McEnroe, John McEnroe. I mean, it's like, wow. And you've done Dancing with the Stars. You've done some movies. How much fun is it to participate in the outside-the-ring things in your life? Well, you know, it's it's really stimulating because, I mean, the Dance with the Stars was really um, the most stressful uh, venture I ever got involved with because, you know, I'm, I can dance a little bit, but not ballroom dance. Right. And uh, it was just amazing. It was a great experience. I'm glad it's on my resume now. Yeah, I bet. Let's talk about your early career. Mike Trainer was a guy who was very important in your life. He's an attorney. He helped guide your off the or outside the boxing ring career. One of the stories I read, and I want you to tell me if this is true or not, is when you decided to be a pro boxer, he had to raise some money. He got about 24 of his friends together, and they underwrote the investment to help launch your boxing career. Is that true? Well, it's true, yes. I mean, he got together at least 25, 30 people who all each invested a $1,000 to help me get started. Naturally, I didn't have a job, and the fact that if you turn pro, you want to be focused. And I, 
And um, these nice, incredible people uh, gave me $1,000 apiece. I started my, uh, my, my career off. Uh, my first professional fight, I made like, I don't know, $40,000 or $50,000. Paid them back their interest to and uh, became a you know free agent, if you will. Uh, from then on out, like I say, the rest is history. Yeah, you became the first boxer that ever earned $100 million in purses. How important, I've had Charles Barkley on recently, how important is it for athletes to surround themselves, not only with people who help them make good decisions, but people who aren't just yes people and telling them what they want to hear? It's essential. It's everything, you know? I mean, going from um, nothing to the biggest basketball player or baseball boxer, it's it's very seductive and it takes you for a ride if you don't keep your feet planted if you don't keep things in perspective so it's great it's 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 priceless to have good people around you and do you and Mike Trainer still keep in contact is he still helping you with some of your things outside the ring no no he's just playing golf now oh that's nice yeah but uh, no I, I keep in contact with all my guys I mean from Jenks Moore who was my trainer I talk to Angelo Dundee. You know, just people um, that made a difference in my life and my career. Talk about Real Steel, the movie that's coming up with Hugh Jackman. I understand you were involved in that. What was your role? Well, I was the boxing consultant, and also I was the I choreographed the uh, boxing moves for the robots. Working with Hugh Jackman was just a real treat, man. He's such an athlete. He's such an actor, and um, he listened like a student. And I, I taught him not just to punch, but also to look and feel like a, a fighter, to look and feel like a trainer, because it's a certain connection there, a certain facial expression that fighters have, because fighters are born, for the most part. Champions are born. I'll tell you, one of the shows that you did that I really liked, and I was sad to see it come to an end, was, was it called The Contender? Contender, yes. Are you going to do that again? Because I thought that was really great, and, and boxing needs things like that to stay in the forefront. You know, Brian, I'm so glad you said that, because it's so true. I truly miss that show, because it, it brought together kids or young men who, who I was like at one time, trying to make an impact, trying to do something for their loved ones. And it was a great show. I think it was a great, you know, the show itself has done well, extremely well overseas, and also here. I mean, people talk about that show all the time as I travel. We're joined by Sugar Ray Leonard, six-time world champion and Olympic gold medalist. Let's talk about some of your boxing career. I thought you fought in an era where it was the, the glory days of boxing, and you fought three of the most intimidating boxers of all time, Roberto Duran, Tommy Hearns, and Marvin Hagler. Sugar Ray, now that your career's over... Was there ever a time when you were in a boxing ring that you were in fear? Not really fear, per se. Brian, boxers don't say fear, but let's say concern. <laughs> <laughs> Who are you concerned against? Well, Tommy Hearns, Duran, and Hagler. I mean, those guys were, I mean, those guys were talent. Those guys were creme de la creme. And, uh, but, you know, I trained so hard. I dedicated myself so much that I made sure I had a, uh, you know, uh, a second, second plan, third plan, fourth plan, if the first one didn't work. You fought the rematch with Duran, and then you fought Hagler with no tune-up fights. How crazy did your family and friends and advisors think you were for taking those fights with no tune-ups? They didn't think I had a chance. They didn't think I had a prayer. I mean, they didn't say that until after the fight, but um, 
you know, I, I'm sure everyone looked at me like I was crazy. My father-in-law, my dad. But, they, you know, because they loved me, they just trying to give me a little courage. But I saw it in their face when they said, well, so who's your tune-up fight? I said, well, Hagler is. And they thought I was crazy. They thought I lost it. You had a detached retina before that fight. I mean, did you have any concern that there's a chance I may lose my vision or it may have long-term impact on the rest of my life? You know what? I had the, one of the best, if not the best, um, ophthalmologist, uh, Dr. Ron Michaels, the late Dr. Ron Michaels, who said after the, after the surgery was done, he said, you know, Ray, everything went perfect. He said, the chances of you hurting that left eye are just as great as the one of the, as your right eye. So... If he told me that, I was pretty secure about not being, you know, in jeopardy. Best stare down you've ever had from an opponent? Was it Hearns, Duran, or Hagler, or was it someone else? It was Tommy. Tommy, because Tommy, because of his height, he means Tommy's like 6'2". He looked down on you, so it was more intimidating, if you will, than the other guys. So 30 years ago this month is when you fought Tommy Hearns for the first time. I mean, can you believe it's been 30 years? I was in Vegas. I, I was doing a book signing, you know, because my book had just come out in June. And I went there, and they said, 30 years ago. I said, 30 years? It was so, it was just so hard to imagine. It seemed so surreal. Do you still keep in touch with Tommy Hearns or Berto Duran or, or Marvin Hagler at all? Tommy and I call. He calls me periodically on the on my cell phone. And, you know, Ray, how you doing? I say, how you doing, Tommy? He asked me, how much do you weigh? <laughs> Why do you want to know? And I see Duran at you know the Boxing Hall of Fame and other events. Hackler doesn't. I don't see him as quite as often as I see the other guys because ha- he lives overseas. He lives in uh, Milan. He lives in Italy. He really disappeared after his loss to you. He just went off the grid. Just went away. Just went away. He's that kind of guy, you know. He's a super nice guy, an amazing champion, but he's kind of to himself. We're joined by a boxing legend, Sugar Ray Leonard. All right, here's a question I've got to ask you. Muhammad Ali did it. Michael Jordan did it. You did it. Retiring and then unretiring. What is it about athletes, elite athletes like yourself, where you can't just walk away and say, see you later, like a Marvin Hagler? It's, it's really, it's, uh, like I said earlier, it's seductive. And it's really one of those things that, because you're in your 20s, you know, you think it's going to be forever. And all of a sudden, you're 35, you're close to 40. And then when you retire, it's like, all right, so now what do I do? What should I do? What's going to give me the same stimulation, the same excitement as what I did in the ring, on the basketball court, or on the football field? You know, it's hard. You can't find that. But until you come to grips with that, Brian, you continue to search. And thank God for me, I eventually found something I mean, it's not like boxing per se, but it's exciting and it's still rewarding. Well, and you're very fortunate to have the capacities that you have because we look at some other fighters and they're not doing so well post-career. Well, you know, I've been very blessed. I I do motivational speaking around the world for for companies. Um, I work with, you know, now I work with like Hugh Jackman and these blockbuster movies and I just released my book. You know, life is so wonderful. I, I I have a foundation called Sugar Ray Leonard Foundation, which raises awareness and funds for JDRF, which is Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation. I'm giving back, being of service. I mean, all those things there 
really take over of what I'm missing. Your book was a great read, very, very candid and revealing. How did you come to the decision to write that book? Because now some people that looked at you one way may look at you a little bit different after reading that book. Well, you know what? I'm glad you said that. Uh, because it's not about them. It's about me. It's about me freeing myself from whether it's demons or, or, or situations that happen in my life with the sexual abuse, with my drugs, with my infidelities to my first wife, Juanita. You know, I made amends. And it was through that book that became so cathartic and so therapeutic that I was able to do that because I kept this on my chest for all these years um, because, you know, I'm a, I'm a guy, I'm a, I'm a so-called celebrity, a boxing champion, and those reasons, and those are the reasons for the most part that you don't want to, um, you know, release or convey those things to people. Yeah, I'm sure it was hard to unearth some of that stuff, and I'm sure it was a very emotional book to write sugar ray leonard six-time world champion joining us olympic gold medalist who took you aside at an early age and said here's the right path to go down it was my older brother roger he used to beat me up for no reason and one day he took me to the gym and i put the gloves on and all of a sudden i said you know what this is me out of all the other sports boxing was my sport it's interesting because I've read at an early age you were a little bit shy, but seeing your 7-Up commercials and seeing your, your charisma, I would never guess that. Well, you know, I'm shy even now, but I'm, I'm sociable because I, I like talking to people and what have you. Um, but, yeah, I was almost introverted. I was such a quiet um, wallflower. And boxing kind of took me from under the rock and allowed me to be, have more confidence in myself and Wow, it's, it's been an incredible transformation, Brian. Well, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Sugar Ray Leonard, six-time world champion and Olympic gold medalist. He's got a new book out titled The Big Fight. It was released in June. He's on Twitter, at Sugar Ray Leonard. How do you like tweeting? Oh, man, it's, it's wonderful. You know, you get the fans and just even people who I, I haven't seen in 20, 30 years pop up on that thing. Well, you're doing great stuff. I follow your motivational speaking. It's great to see you involved in movies and in the community. And thanks so much for taking the time to join me today. I'll see you soon. Take care. That's Sugar Ray Leonard. This is SBR. Back with more after this. It's the age of new media and citizen journalism. Everyone with a smartphone and a flip cam is a reporter and everything is on the record. I'm Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio, and I team with former Nike executive Lee Weinstein to form media training company Everything is on the Record. With a combined 40 years of experience dealing with the media and helping our clients craft authentic messages, we'll help you navigate the tricky media landscape that exists today. Everything is on the Record has provided media training to pro and college athletes, coaches and executives, as well as to government leaders and CEOs. We'll teach you how to break through the clutter with your messages and we'll also assist you when you find yourself in crises. It's time for an innovative new approach to media training that best fits the world we live in today. For more information about Everything is on the Record, visit us online at everythingisontherecord.com. Contact us today to learn more about our innovative approach to media training and how we can meet your specific needs. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at everythingisontherecord.com. This is Sports Business Radio. Well, if you followed me on this show for the last uh, seven years or so, you know that I'm a, a fan of Walter Payton. 
big fan of what he did on the field and a big fan of what he did off the field. That's why I'm sickened this week that Jeff Perlman has released a book called Sweetness, the enigmatic life of Walter Payton. And it's a book full of smut. And Mike Ditka, when interviewed this week, said, I'd spit on him, meaning Perlman. I have no respect for him. And Griggs, I would agree. I wouldn't say I'd spit on Jeff Perlman, but this really has me upset because Walter Payton died in 1999. Let the guy rest in peace. At what point do we just keep pouring dirt on the grave? And I just think it's disrespectful to Payton's family, to his legacy, and if these things did happen, what's going to change now? The past is the past. Walter Payton's dead. Why unearth this stuff now? Yeah, it's just like you said, it, it hurts the family. I mean, Walter's dead and gone, but the family's still here, and they're going to have to bring all this stuff back up to life. You know, everybody's going to be asking them questions, all this whole thing. Yeah, I think it's just a, a money plea for this author. It's a cash grab yeah. for the author and for the publisher, and I think it's sick. And I'm really disappointed in Sports Illustrated. I know Perlman works for Sports Illustrated, but they put this book on the front page of Sports Illustrated, and they have an excerpt from the book. They're promoting trash. How is this different than, like, the National Enquirer or any of the trash that's out there? And if any one of you goes out and buys it, I'm really disappointed. So that's my little uh, soapbox speech for this week. I think there's no place in journalism for stuff like this. I think it's disrespectful. Again, he's been dead since 1999. He died of cancer. Let him rest in peace. Nothing's going to change now. All right. Lots of thank yous on our show this week. I want to thank Maury Brown from thebizofbaseball.com. I want to thank what I, the person I think is one of the greatest boxers of all time, Sugar Ray Leonard. What a pleasure it was to catch up with him. Our show staff, Brian Griggs, Josh Blank, Jared Melzer, Darren Peck, Ron Barr, James Harris, and Doug Zanger. A podcast reminder, you can catch our show on demand via podcast every week. Click on the iTunes icon on the front page of sportsbusinessradio.com to have our show podcast downloaded to your iTunes every week. We'd really appreciate it if you post a review of our podcast on iTunes. Follow me on Twitter, at SB Radio. Follow Griggs on Twitter, at BGrizzle22. For Brian Griggs, I'm Brian Berger. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you next week right here on Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. Brian Berger goes one-on-one with the biggest names. My guest is David Stern. He's the commissioner of the NBA. It is always a pleasure, Brian. Bill Hancock, he's the executive director of the Bull Championship Series. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban. Mark, thanks for joining me. My pleasure. My guest is Mickey Loomis. He's the executive vice president and general manager of the world champion New Orleans Saints. Pleasure to be with you guys. Mr. Allen, thanks for joining me. Thank you. My guest is Mark Emmert. He's the president of the NCAA. Oh, happy to join you. My pleasure. My guest is Eric Spolstra. He's the head coach of the Miami Heat. Brian, appreciate it. Glad to, uh, glad to be on the show. Mr. Nicholas, it's an honor to have you on Sports Business Radio. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure, Brian. Visit sportsbusinessradio.com and subscribe to our free iTunes podcast. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter and stay connected to the business side of sports only with Sports Business Radio.